to Revelation chapter 3, looking at verse 7. Uh, We're looking at, oh man, like a church that Jesus writes a letter to, a church in Asia Minor. We actually have a map for you. Uh, It's the church in Philadelphia, uh, there to the southeast of Sardis. Uh, The church in Philadelphia, as we'll read here in the next uh, few verses, it's been known as the faithful church. It's been known as the Great Commission Church. And I'm excited to get to this letter, even though, as I study it, I almost feel distant from it. Um, I don't know why I've had more of a nearness to some of the churches that Jesus gives a spanking to, you know. There's probably like, I need some good discipline in my life, you know. Uh, And then we come to this church that there's no condemnation towards. There's no correction towards. It's, it's all commendation. It's all good. Uh, he's got nothing but, but wonderful uh, rejoicing in the actions and the heart behind this first century faithful church. And so let's get into it and we'll just see what Jesus has to say uh, then and what he's saying now. Verse 7 of Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the keys of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. So, the angel could be a messenger, it could be an actual guardian angel, could be a pastor. It's translated those different ways, uh, but there seems to be one messenger who's bringing this letter to Philadelphia. Philadelphia, it's two Greek words, phileo, which is a type of love, and, and also delphos, which means brother, and uh, it's, it's known as brotherly love. Uh, the city of brotherly love. It's 25 miles southeast of Sardis, as we saw on the map. It was a high plateaued city with a main highway that connected it with Smyrna. Um, In AD 17, the city of Philadelphia was devastated by an earthquake. And so it was rebuilt by Tiberius. Uh, This city was loyal to Rome because of that rebuilding project, and it was known as the Gateway to the East. It was something of a missionary city, although early on not for Christianity. It was more of a Greek Hellenistic mission base where Greece was trying to get its culture out to the then known world. Philadelphia began in 189 B.C., by Unimus II, and he was later succeeded by his brother, Attilus II. And what's special about knowing the history there is that Attilus II loved his late brother and began to name all of the buildings and all of these monuments after his uh, older brother, Unimus. He put Unimus's picture on all of the coins 
And so Philadelphia began to nickname Attilus Philadelphos, the man who loves his brother. And later on, the city became the city of brotherly love. In AD 17, almost 80 years before John wrote this letter, Philadelphia was rocked by an earthquake, and it would regularly have earthquakes. And that's something that will kind of feed into some of what Jesus says in this letter regarding stability and permanence and not having to run out of the city uh, in a terrifying panic. It was in Philadelphia where our own fresh Prince of Bel-Air was from. The West Side, he was born there, raised there, on a playground. No, okay. (laughs) I wrote it out, didn't work. Okay. Barclay writes, To walk through the temple-scattered streets of Philadelphia was to be reminded of Athens, the center of worship of the Olympian gods. It's an interesting city. It's a great city. It's a city that is going to have a wonderful church in it. We're going to read a bit about it in a minute. But Jesus wants to remind us who he is as he writes this letter. That he is the one who is true, or rather holy is the first thing. He is holy. He is pure. Holy speaks of being set apart. And we sing holy a lot in our songs. Uh, We say holy a lot. Uh, in our culture, holy moly, but many of us don't know what holy means. It speaks of being set apart, being sanctified. And when you read of the holiness of God, it speaks of him being in a class of his own. There's no one else like him. In fact, when you compare him to the other gods of the world, you just find that they just don't even measure up. They can't hold a candle to him. They are actually all false, deaf, dumb, mute gods. But he is in this class above his own. He is the best one of the best ones. He is holy. And I'm, it's interesting. I'm, I just started a new Bible plan on my, uh, in my daily reading. And I'm in Acts chapter two, where when Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, uh, he says, um, that you killed the holy one and the just just one of the names for Jesus, even with the apostle Peter was, he's the holy one. And you might add that in your prayer language. Just begin to pray out to Jesus as the holy one. He goes on to say, I am he who is true. I'm true. I'm trustworthy. He says in John 14, six, I am the way, the truth and the life. When he says he is true, he's making some very line in the sand statements. He's making some very, uh, some very important claims as the one and only. He's going to make another claim in just a second that's on a similar vein. But in 1 John chapter 5 verse 20, John writes, it's halfway through the verse, that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And then just a little bit. This is the true God and eternal life. Just in some of the conversations I've had about Jesus this year to non-Christians and to really just people in this um, modern world. uh, Jesus is just one pick of many different gods or many different 
ways. He's one item in a buffet or a smorgasbord of religions and choices. And yet, you know, Jesus would say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am true. And I'm the God who is true. And it's just going to keep getting narrow and narrower uh, as we go on here, as we read, I'm he who has the keys of David. So I've got the keys. In chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 18, he says, I have the keys of Hades and of death. So, you know, you want to go to hell? Like, here's the door. Later on, he's going to be sending people there who don't know him. You you don't want to go? Perfect. Let's shut that door because I've actually got life for you. I'd prefer, let's go that way, all right? But if you hear the jingling on my little janitor keychain, I've got the keys to Hades and of death. But I've got the keys of David. It's all the same thing, really. This is from Isaiah 9-7, where we're reminded that it's a prophecy of the Messiah, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. So there's this prophecy of a true and better David who will come. This David, this son of David, this root of Jesse, who was David's dad, this one who comes from the line of David, uh, he's going to be on this throne. He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring judgment and justice. And, you know, in a culture that loves justice, in fact, we were eating dinner at a restaurant the other night and our, um, our waiter had uh, justice as his name. And I just had to ask him, like, that doesn't seem like a very modern name. It seems like something that's more, you know, you know nowadays, like, I'm even going to change my name to be justice because of social justice issues and all of that. And I just had to ask him, like, where do you, where's justice from? And he's actually, it's actually just us. My mom was a single mom who named me that, just me and her. And I was like, oh, that's a beautiful thing, just us. But, but we are in a culture that is all about justice, wherever you can seem to find it. Well, then I would say, find it with the one who's got the keys of justice, the one who's from the throne of justice, the one who says, we're going to bring it in and it will never end. It's going to be a beautiful justice that is forever. I've got the keys of David. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. This is a prophecy from Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two. It's of Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, but this is a foreshadowing of the Messiah. There's a lot of ayahs in there. Hilkiah. Okay. Messiah. Okay. Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place. And he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. And so when Jesus 
says, I have the keys of David. I open and no one shuts. I shut and no one open. I am, I have just, I've got authority. I've got power. I've got ability. It's through me that opportunities come. It's through me that opportunities stop. And I'm the one that was prophesied really when Eliakim was spoken over. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse five, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. So Jesus is the only one who claims to be able to open the doors of heaven. Mounts writes, the Davidic Messiah with absolute power to control entrance into the heavenly kingdom. He has the power to admit and the authority to exclude anyone who would want to come into the presence of the king. He lets people into the kingdom of God. No wonder Jesus says in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and out and find pasture. So this is a pretty huge claim of Jesus. All right. I'm holy. So I'm in a class above anybody else. I'm in a class of my own. I'm true and can be trusted. Can't be said of everybody else is what he's saying. I have the keys of David, so I'm the Messiah. And if you knew what the keys of David meant, you know that that I'm the boss. I'm the king of kings. I'm the one who sits on the throne forever. I open and I close, and no one gets to say anything otherwise. It's a huge claim. And is that something that you would affirm of Jesus today? Or for you, is Jesus just another man Maybe a great man. Is he just another prophet? Is he someone who's just a dead figure of ancient history? Is he just a word that, you know, a name that gets tossed around in a form of curse every now and then? And and when you hear it, you think it's very odd that this ancient Hebrew man makes his way into our, you know, curse words somehow. You know, where does that even come from? But it was C.S. Lewis who said that Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or Lord. When you hear his claims, he can't just be another good guy or one good guy in a, in a midst of a lot of other decent choices because he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the way to heaven. He's claiming to be it. And I think that you would really do yourself a really good service if you were just honest And just said, Jesus is a total liar. Because if you think that there's other ways and other means and other good holy books and whatever way you want to go and figure it out for yourself and find your own truth, then just go ahead and add to that because Jesus is a liar. Like you'll be way better off being honest with yourself. And I think that then the Lord can actually begin to start speaking to your heart. Or Jesus is a lunatic. He's a charlatan. He was a madman. 
Who does he think he is cruising around the earth for like three years and just making all these great claims and even claiming to be God? Let's be honest. We call those people around here crazy folk, all right? He's, he's a madman. He's a charlatan. Just be honest. Or if you would be reasonable and you would really examine the gospel, you would find that when Jesus says, I'm the way, you would find when the apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other well, I kind of think that, you know, there's some really, really nice Hindus out there with beautiful garments and very nice, you know, they've got a system. Uh, no, no. There is not salvation in any other. Well, I, I really, you know, the Buddhists, we just, they're just so kind and they're just such a peaceful folk and, and they just, they have their scriptures and their holy right. And no. In fact, when you study these other religions, Jesus is in a class above any other. He's in a class of his own. He is just, he is like, study, just be real and honest. And you're like, these guys just kind of made up whatever they wanted. Like, this guy just was in a forest and had golden tablets given to him. And he wouldn't show them to anybody else. And everything that he had to say contradicted the biblical Christianity of the day. Like, don't follow that guy. Speaking of charlatans and madmans, madmans, run away. Because biblical Christianity and the Jesus of the Bible is in a class of his own. He is truth. He's got the keys. There is salvation not found in any other. And Paul goes on to say, or it's actually Peter for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Like you got to really stretch to get around that verse. You do. Pick a name, modern or otherwise. I think they're bringing me on the road to life, but they're pushing this bad boy out of the way. Whew. Danger zone. Don't take a ride into it. Get away. It was a Top Gun reference for those of you that knew that. <laughs> Verse 8. I know your works. Something he says to every church. See, I've set before you an open door. And no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. Have kept my word. And have not denied my name. Notice he says, see, see, check it out. I've opened up a door for you. I've got the keys. I open, no one shuts. I shut, no one opens. And in all that, check it out. I've got an open door for you. Sometimes God sets an open door of opportunity in front of us, but we don't see it. And as we're going to see, this is the Great Commission Church. It's an open door of evangelistic opportunity. 
It's an open door of going out and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And it's open. And he wants you to see it. A man once came and asked Charles Spurgeon how he could win people to Jesus. And Spurgeon asked him, what are you? What do you do? And the man said, well, I, I run, I drive a train, basically. I'm, I'm a conductor. And he said, well, um, you have a guy that shovels the coal into the furnace of the train? He said, yeah. He's like, what is he? Does he profess any faith? He says, I don't know. And Spurgeon said, then start with him. There's your open door right there. Just across the cubicles and just down the hall and just in the classroom and coaching with us on our team or dropping their kids off for, for these athletic events. And they're in the peewee rodeo and they're behind the stables. And man, wherever you're at, there's an open door. See it. As Jesus is writing to Philadelphia, this faithful church, and, and looking at church history, many believe that this would be like the faithful church in the last days. And we'll see that a little bit later. But they are those that see the open door that's been set before them. Check it out. There's an entrance for you. It was in 2014 that we were in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I remember this Sunday so well because we had come back from a leadership conference in Boise. We'd been fasting and praying as a church for open doors of missions opportunities for our church. And we were there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8 uh, and 9, where it says, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And we just began to cry out as a church for one of these. For a great and effective open door. And many of the men in our church, in our core groups, began to wake up early, like to rise early in the morning and to seek the Lord for an open door for our church. We began to fast as a church. There was a week of fasting and prayer for an open door for world missions. And uh, it was there in that year, just really a matter of months later, that we went to a, a conference in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, the Radical Intensive Conference that David Platt puts on. And through the course of conversations about different teachings that we had heard about Nepal and didn't even know where Nepal was, uh, we ended up sitting out of a room of 100 pastors. We sat next to a guy who was from the very organization, from all the teachings we had heard about and, uh, and he became one of our really good friends and has been to Prineville a couple times. And he just launched us into world missions and having a heart and a hunger to get the gospel to all of the nations. And uh, just the night before, Kevin Vaughn was with me and we got down on our knees in the hotel room and we cried out for an open door for evangelism and just went to the orientation, sit down at the table, find out the guy sitting next to us is the guy we'd been talking about the night before and didn't even know it. And just a beautiful friendship was formed uh, that continues to this day. Sign up for Nepal 2020. But a great and effective door has been opened to us. Uh, it's just wonderful to consider the testimony we have with, um, <clears throat> with Nepal. 
in a similar, maybe not quite as evangelistic uh, scope, just thinking of Jesus who opens and shuts doors, this building that we're in is, is one of those open door things that we had a lease that was running out, the building was you know, needing a lot of help, didn't have the, the facility we needed for especially our children, uh, and, and just do we really want to sign another five-year lease on this place and just, well, here's something. <laughs> And we didn't have to have this. We didn't just go into it like, we got to make this happen. We got to get this 1946 and 1957 building. Like, that'll really be awesome, you know. But we just continually said, it's the open door that's in front of us. So two years of meeting and offering and counter-offering and praying and, and just, just continually saying, what do we do? I don't, it seems to be an open door still. Let's just keep going. And the Lord just brought us to where here we are, you know, old burlap curtains and everything, you know, like, yeah, man. Perry, could you talk to Kim? Because I'm running out of ideas on curtains. <laughs> okay. Recently, this is our fourth Sunday, we'll be driving out to Polina uh, to a church plant that we've started in the area. And for the last maybe three years, uh, Lord's led me to go out regularly and to just be a hand and just help out and look like a fool on a lot of these ranches and to go out on the shotgun ranch and the blue mountain ranch and to get to rub shoulders with many of the ranchers in the central Oregon out towards Polina area and just going like, you know, roping with these guys and they are pros. They are so good and I am so not good and it's just embarrassing, and you just eat crow, like, every time you're out there, and you're just kind of like, <laughs> you know, and you're messing up, and cows are running everywhere, and calves are busting through fences, dragging your rope off with them, you know, and you're just like, no one's ever going to want to know Jesus, because I'm an idiot, and Joe's even more of an idiot, between the two of us, you know. And then there's Alan, okay, well, just kidding, Alan's not here to defend himself, and just just going and just praying and driving that hour and preaching the gospel to myself so that I can preach it to others. And just, and there we are sitting on the back porch after the branding, eating with all of the cow hands. And just one of the, one of the guys that we are praying for just looks and says, if you could preach any message out of the Bible, what would it be? And like forks are dropping on plates and there's the, whoa, you know? And I was just like, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you why. Just got to share that day. And we're, we drove away from that branding just like, I can't believe it. And just sharing the gospel and bringing our guitars out and playing some gospel-centered music. And, and just like, okay, Lord, like we're just going. And then, hey, Lord, like, do you want us to take on the every other week of the church that's only meeting every other out there? And maybe we could just do the, and just feeling like I got more than every other for you out there. And so as we call and ask the, the pastor, like, what do you think about the every other? He's like, I think the Lord has more than every other for you out here. I'm out. You go run with it, run with your church, run with your people, run with your vision, run with prayer, run with making disciples, run with outreach, New Testament church, this bad boy up. And so we're going, going at, we're going at two 30 today. If you want to come with us and we're going and we're just preaching and reaching 
the unreached cowboys of Eastern Oregon. It's just incredible. Even this week, I'm just woke up at 3 a.m., drove out, got on a horse, walked, just riding through the hot forest. And one of the cowboys just opens up and just, I just get to share the gospel for a few hours with them and pray. Just an incredible opportunity. You guys, who's shoveling coal into the furnace, all right? Who's making your copies for you? Who's riding next to you in the carpool? Open up your mouth. Tell them about the gospel. See? See? I've set before you an open door. Paul said in that 1 Corinthians 16 passage, though, that there are many adversaries to it. Keep going, though. Push through the adversaries. Acts chapter 14, verse 27, when Paul came back from his first missionary journey, he was able to share at the end of the verse that God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Everyone rejoiced. God has opened the door of faith to the world, to the globe. 2 Corinthians 2.12, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. I just wonder for you what the open door is for you. It's like exciting. It's exciting to tell these stories. We still go to plan and we're like, what happened? Literally the, the big majority of it happened like within a week, maybe two weeks time. Next thing you know, we're like, we're going to do this, right? Yeah, I guess we're doing this. Okay, we're going. Boom. And I just wonder for you, like you have, you can have the same testimony. Just open your ears and open your eyes and see. And we want to pray for you. If you just have no idea what that is, like in Colossians 4, 3, pray also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Like, honestly, I have no idea what that door might be. And I would say, let's pray about it. Pray that either you would see it or pray that it would actually open. Oswald Smith says, any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. Lord, don't let us forfeit it. Let us be like the church in Philadelphia. It was Alistair Begg who said, you either evangelize or you fossilize. Let's preach it. Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Yeah, I read a lot of his stuff. He said, I have but one passion. It is Christ. Christ alone. The world is the field and the field is the world. And henceforth, that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. Do you ever pray about what country should be your home? We just say our lives are blank checks. God's got us in Prineville, but anytime he wants us to go to a, another town, country, whatever, like wherever, Lord, you have us, take us. That should be your prayer as well. Your life is a blank check. You'll go to any country. You'll go to any place that is that is less glamorous. You'll go to any place that you'll never be known. You'll go to any place that, you know, you've got to purify your water before drinking it and watch out for worms as you eat, whatever. Lord, wherever. The world is the field. The field is the world. 
Henry Martin said it well, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to Jesus, the more intensely missionary we become. And this church that Jesus has no condemnation into their actions, he has no correction or spanking for them. This Philadelphian church was a church open door for missions. Open door that no one is going to shut. Vance Havner said, God opens doors for ministry and ministers today. I would like to bear witness that I've proved this Philadelphian promise of the open door through years of ministry, and it's never failed. Promotion does not come from the South, East, or West, but from God. And if we commit our way unto him and trust him, he will bring it to pass. God's man is not dependent on religious talent scouts, nor is his ministry in the hand of ecclesiastical officials. His headquarters is heaven, and his itinerary is made up by the Lord of the open door. Pray. Show me, Lord, from the headquarters of heaven where the open door is. We've been having youth group down at the skate park. And we go down there and we have home group at the skate park. Yeah, we do. I mean, yeah, I don't skate. It's actually at the bike park, but there's a volleyball net. So you could do either, okay? Uh, And if you know anything about that area, all kinds of riffraff hang out there. Like, you want to wipe the tables off before you have a picnic there, okay? Like, you're just like, what is going on here? And you just hang around, and you walk by, and you hear the conversations of these people, and you're like, this is not good, all right? But you know what? That's exactly who Jesus came to save and deliver. And how in the world are they supposed to come out of darkness if the light doesn't go in? And I'm just, I've, you know, I've been going, and I'm just like, you know, and I've got kids a lot of times, and I'm just like, but my heart is like breaking to where I can't stop looking at them. Not because they're riffraff, because guess what? Capital R, riffraff, okay? But because they are like the harvest that is white. White fields right there. So pray that the Lord would send workers into this harvest field. I went to the skate park one time. And, you know, it just, it's like, man, it's just like that, that, I don't, why do they seem hard? I don't know. Because they have skateboards, I, troublemakers all the way, all right? And I just took a bag of McDonald's cheeseburgers and just was like, boom, you know, giving these out and just was like, um, you guys just, you need to know Jesus loves you. And, and it was actually some of the boys that went to this church that were just kind of standoff towards me and just, you just knew they just didn't really love Jesus or this and and just that day of love with cheeseburgers and just reaching out and speaking the hope of the gospel just the wall came crumbling down great relationship developed with them just what is the open door you guys let the Lord show you the fields that are white with the harvest But I like that, though, from Vance Havner. His headquarters is heaven, and his itinerary is made up by the Lord of the open door. Alexander Graham Bell said, When one door closes, another opens. But we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door 
that we do not see the one that is opened for us. When we were originally looking to go plant a church somewhere when we were leaving high school ministry, we went to Washington up to the Pullman area, and right away we got there and just felt like this is not it. And as we were there, um, I, I wrote to one of my pastor friends, one of my mentors, and he said this, it's okay because the steps and the stops are ordered by the Lord. He opens and he shuts. He's in the no's and the goes. So just be open to seeing the open doors and be okay when doors close because he's the one doing it. No one can shut them. No one's able to shut it if you got the ESV. It speaks of unhindered access. Now, why has he given them an open door? Can you guys give me six more minutes? Okay. Good, because we're going for 12. Because <laughs> if you can make it to six, then you can probably squeeze out 12. Okay. And 20 will be like, well, you've already got your second wind. And an hour. Oh, okay, forget it. This open door comes to a church who has a little strength. You've got a little strength, so I've given you a big old open door. Why? Because they know where their power comes from. They know where their strength comes from. Osborne says the church lacked size and stature in the community and was looked down upon and persecuted. They had little authority or little influence. They had only a little strength. But so far, that had proved successful for them in standing firm against the persecution from the synagogue of Satan that we're going to hear about in just a little bit. And I'll tell you what, you guys, this is the testimony of my life and ministry and all the good men that have gone before me. Just realize how puny and powerless you are. What a dork you are. You've got nothing. He's got everything. Just lean into it. Just let him carry you. Second Corinthians is just a theme verse for my ministry life. It says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So there you are. You're in your workplace. You're, in your, uh, you're down by the skate park. You're at the corrals. You're, you know, and, and just like people are like, Hmm, right? Is that brute? You know, it's Christ actually. <clears throat> well, it's sure diffusing off of you. Okay. Hashtag not brute. Okay. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. So those non-Christians that are just hard-hearted, they are on the fast track to hell so often, they just want nothing of it. And it's just, right? To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. There is something about that gal. She obviously loves. She obviously has been with Jesus she might be worth listening to. But then he asks this, 
And who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to be this great diffusing fragrance container? You, are you, you, you got it down? Yeah, you, Ron, Pat, Michelle, you, you guys got it? Anybody else? Aaron? Yeah. Who's sufficient? It's kind of rhetorical, right? Because he's going to go on in 2 Corinthians 3 verses 5 and 6 and say, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, not of law, not of legalism, not of rules and rituals and regulations, but the law of of the new covenant of grace and the power of the spirit and lives purified by the blood of the cross. He has made us sufficient. The spirit gives life. I'm telling you, not sufficient, you know, to, to be a part of this church Polina Church, going to Nepal. I'm not sufficient to clean the toilets in this place. But he is. He's more than enough. He's more than sufficient. When you've been with Jesus, that just comes through you. All the holes in you make just beautiful diffusers for the fragrance of Christ. Mike Stachara gets it when he writes, the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. It's okay if we're not a mega church ever, right? It's okay like, if like, this is kind of what our general population is. If we're about what God's about. And even the little congregations can do big things for the Lord. And just being a mirror that would reflect any praise or glory, I just, I'm able to testify from missions heads of organizations that they talk about our church in the mission community. They talk about you guys. They talk about your generosity. They talk about just the willingness to to go if God would have you go. They talk about the willingness to just generously give and to be a part of sending eight people every year to go reach down. We're just little. We're little. Our population or our demographic, we're not really sending out the full-time missionaries that are just, man, we're sending out this guy and he's, he's gone for like years and she's gone and this family and they live in all these different countries. We just, we got like, we can do like seven people every year and we can, we can go for two weeks and we can just labor and fast and pray and evangelize and get sick for Jesus and just keep going for Jesus and just be light. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. We've got little strength, but we're leaning into him. Second reason they're used, you've kept my word. The church in Philadelphia, the faithful church in the last days, keeps the word of God, keeps the faith. Third, they have not denied Jesus' name. It's a big thing in the New Testament. Professing to know God, but in works denying him, Titus says, is told. 
We're not denying him in our works. We're professing to know him from our lips and we're professing to know him from from our actions. And I think that's the six minute mark if my timing is correct. And Johnny, if you want to come on up and Julia and Eli, if you're here. Looks like I've got enough to do a part two of Philadelphia next week. What do you think? All right. It could be pretty exciting since this is that church that Jesus should have just had nothing but good to speak of them. Johnny's not even used to this. He's like, is he even here? Well, oh, there he is coming down the stairs. You guys stand with me. We thank you, God, for your church, universal, just the every Christian who's ever lived or existed and even today on the earth, the global church today. How many wonderful brothers and sisters we have. We thank you, Lord, for your design of the local church and And just one of those great pieces of ecclesiology is that a local church is a missionary church. It's a great commission church. And we thank you that like Vance Havner, we can say that we we have testimonies of open doors. But Lord, we're young. We barely heard the, the race gun go off before we've started running here. And Lord, we want to be a church that just runs the endurance race as far as the Great Commission goes. That really Nepal was like the gun maybe going off for us or at least in my time, God. But Lord, that you would just be opening up doors, great and effective doors. And where the adversaries want to come, Lord, that you would just remind those adversaries, hey, I open it, no one shuts it, back off. And Lord, that every man and woman, and even the children in this place, would be able to look with just your eyes. Just even now, Lord, just penetrate their hearts and just show the lost and the hurting and the broken around them. Just show them how they may be the only missionary that ever goes their way. And Lord, would you just help them to trust in your design of how people get saved? That the little preachers preach and the hearers hear. And as they hear, they believe. They call upon the Lord and are saved. And Lord, would you just do a work of evangelism through Calvary Prineville? Lord, may we just be seeing just moms and couples and just 
people from the soccer teams as soccer's starting up this month. May we just be seeing uh, just the folks that meet down at McDonald's for coffee come in uh, to, to hear of you and be growing as disciples, Lord. Lord, people from that trailer, three trailers over at the RV park, that family that was three muttons behind us at mutton busting that we got to talk to, just, Lord, people would be coming to Jesus through this church. Lord, let us, Lord, by your grace, Lord, we've just been repenting of leaving our first love like Ephesus. We've been repenting of carnality like Pergamos. We've been repenting of immorality like Thyatira. We've been repenting of just being walking dead as Sardis. Next week, or the weeks to come, we got a lukewarm exhortation. But right now, Lord, we just desire to be Philadelphia. Work that in us by your Spirit. And Lord, for those who are in this place today, and this is all so foreign to them because they're not saved. They've never been born again. They've never acknowledged their sin before you and confessed it to you and received forgiveness from you. They've never declared that Jesus saves And they never cried out to you, save me. If that's you today, just right where you're at, just cry that simple prayer out. Jesus, save me. Help me to realize that it's in my weakness that you are strong. It's in my laying down my self-righteousness that your righteousness can be poured out upon me. That you want me to be one who has kept your word and not denied your name. And it's those, it's us that have open doors. Just as we sing this last song, and I don't know what the song is, it's probably not a song that's like open up a door or something like that. I don't know any that do that. But but let's just pray it in our hearts as we're singing, as we're focusing on Jesus. And let's just let him during this song just show us. See, I've opened up a door. And let's just run into it, just full faith, believing. Go ahead, Johnny, lead us in this last song.